Um, we are uh, closing out Living Out Loud <clears throat> with um, uh, looking at psalms of instruction. We've looked at psalms of wisdom, of praise, of thanksgiving, of lamenting. Uh, and today we're looking at uh, the importance of instruction um, as we see in the book of Psalms. Um, and I've titled this sermon, Don't Be a Mule, Living Wise in a Foolish World. And we'll see why I've titled that here in a little bit. Um, but as we were worshiping, um, I want to I wanna read a passage out of uh, Revelation um, that I really just want to be uh, a passage of prayer for us as we enter in. Uh, this morning. <clears throat> Revelation chapter 3, uh, Jesus through John would say, For you say that I am rich, I have prospered and need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich in white garments that you may clothe yourself and the shame of nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. <clears throat> Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and re repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens a door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne. I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the seven churches. This is written to the church of Laodicea. <clears throat> father, we know, Lord, that you offer counsel to us, Lord, Father, we also know that you give us the freedom to reject your counsel, to reject the very thing that would lead us to life. Lord, I ask for a spirit of humility among your people this morning, among myself. God, that we would be clothed as you see fit that we would <clears throat> buy the wisdom and the gold and the, the instruction refined by fire, Lord, that is pure, unadulterated from the, the ways of this world, Lord. So God, would you give us a spirit of wisdom, <clears throat> spirit of humility, as we look at your word this morning, God. Would you enlighten the eyes of our hearts, God, and would you, um, would you align our hearts to fear your name, Lord? Amen. We're going to be in Psalm 25 today. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. Um, <clears throat> we're going to be looking at several different texts this morning. This is kind of a text-heavy sermon. Um, um, it, it was definitely a, a laborious sermon to put together, I think, because of the amount of text. But I really felt uh, a desire to show from Scripture the importance of of um, instruction in our life, the importance God places on it, the importance he placed on it through the word. And, and um, I, I, I believe it's important in my own life, but my opinion doesn't matter to you guys. And so what I want to do is I want to show from scripture the, the detrimental um, importance of uh, instruction in our lives as believers. <clears throat> Years ago, when I was a youth pastor down in Washington, I took a group up to the Sawtooth Mountain Range. 
Um, and uh, with a friend of mine who was a guide, and we hiked up to Thompson Peak. It's about 10,000 foot uh, ascent. And um, we, this particular year, we decided to um, camp at the base and then have about a five hour hike up uh, in the early before before the sun rose to to watch the sun rise from the peak. It was it was incredible. We had um, we had went to, we got up about two ish. Um, woke the woke the students up about two o'clock in the morning. Threw our headlamps on and began the trek up the mountain. It was a bit scary. It ended up being almost five hours of hiking. Uh, we knew where we wanted to get to, <clears throat> but we didn't know the path up, especially in the dark. We knew that there was something magnificent that we were pursuing. We just didn't know how to get there. And I had to rely on my friend who was experienced, who knew the way up, especially in the dark. And thinking back now, speaking of wisdom today, uh, I don't know that I would do this with a group of youth again. Um, But nonetheless, we all made it back alive. Our pastor had an 80% return um, uh, policy. And so I had to bring 80% of them back alive. So it wasn't too bad. Um, but the the idea of needing to and this was not a this was not a, just a path this was not a well worn path up to the peak this is um, this was climbing up rock sides this was hugging walls this was holding onto a rope as we were ho- pulling ourselves around the edge this was this was not a um, this was not a, a hike for inexperienced people and to do it in the dark uh, was even that much more adventurous to say the least. So it was important that even though I had uh, been in the woods since I was as far back as I can remember, comfortable hiking, um, I, this, and I've, I've been to this place before, to do it in this manner required that I, with all my experience, still listen to instructions, and it required the students to listen to instructions uh, and, every, and every step along the way. Um, and it was it was a hike where people could have been seriously injured or killed if we didn't. You see, we all have mountains or moments in our faith journey when we have those mountaintop perspectives. I remember coming up there and and <clears throat> summiting, and you know it was it was just starting to get glow that glow coming over the the horizon, and, and we had already climbed through the fog, so it's just it, all we see is peaks coming out of the top of the clouds. And at this point, we're just thinking like, man, this is going to be the most epic sunrise. And it truly was the most epic sunrise to this day I've ever seen in my life. Just just phenomenal. Um, 10,000 feet, you know, breathing's a bit harder. <clears throat> but there, I remember the moment of sitting there, tired, exhausted, looking down at, at kind of where we had come from, only till the cloud, you know, the cloud line hit. And just thinking like, man, all that work, all the unknowns of not really being sure where we're going, not really sure where we just came from, but knowing that if we listened to instructions, we'd be able to experience what we got to experience. And it was, um, it was just profound. And we have those moments in our faith journey, those moments of clarity, the moments of purpose, profound sense of divine understanding, or, or, as, or as scripture calls it, the mind of Christ, that we understand the things in our hearts, those moments when the John 16 counseling work of the Spirit begins to open the eyes of our hearts to truly understand the mysteries that surpass our understanding. But if we're honest, we also experience times when we try to find the path to clarity on our own, don't we? We love our independence. We love our way of doing things. How well does that work out for us? Men, <clears throat> we've all brought in that 
Costco box of something home that we've tried to assemble. And we wonder why they put a bunch of extra papers with, you know, digits one, two, three, waste of paper. So we try to put it together ourselves and we think, hey, we got this, babe. Shoot, oh, instructions, please. You know, we're looking at the numbers, being like, ah, these don't matter. I got this figured out. And we get halfway through the project and we realize these idiots who manufactured this gave us the wrong bolts until we realize that we're actually the idiots who put the wrong bolts in at the beginning (laughs) steps and now have to undo everything. And then we revert to the instructions. It's humorous to a degree, but it's also foolish. If we, were, if we were honest about it, it's really foolish. And while it's not detrimental for us when we're putting furniture or something else together, it is when it comes to our faith. I've often astonished about how much time I spend thinking about a situation or planning my ways before I decide to consult Jesus. Maybe it's because I don't believe that Jesus actually cares about these decisions that I would make, or maybe it's because I don't believe that he, that he would speak to me about these decisions, or maybe I'm just not patient enough to wait on the Lord. And so I would rather attempt on my own as though I truly believe that my current understanding of a situation or path forward is superior to what God would have. Or worse yet, maybe I know what Christ wants me to do or to understand, and I try to plan another way. He says that you can do nothing apart from me. Jesus says the son of man can do nothing apart from the father. And if Jesus says that about himself, then what he says in John 15 ought to be even more true for us when he says you can do nothing apart from me. And we say, oh, I can do some things though. I mean, I can't save myself, so thank you, Lord, but I can live this life. And here's the deal. The Christ we find in scriptures isn't just our redeemer. He's our guiding authority. He holds the right to that authority in our life. See, salvation by nature requires an admission that we need something more than ourselves, doesn't it? That more than our own efforts, more than our own understanding, more than our own attempts to be good, and and it requires a surrendering to the way of Christ, That's the message of the cross, isn't it? That that we can't, so he did. The cross is that outing of our inability. It, It exposes our inability to bring about salvation by our own understanding, our own attempts. And we accept that and say, yes, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus, that we have been saved from this, but now I got it. See, here's the kicker. When we don't aim to let the counsel of Christ be the authority in our lives, we're actually missing out on undoubtedly the greatest part of this life, which is peaceful communion and unity with God. And so our lives begin to form this chasm between the peace that God offers and our chaotic lives and say, man, I came to Jesus thinking it was going to be great, thinking all these things, my, my life was going to, you know, a lot of the difficulties was going to be removed. And now I find myself doing the same things, having the same thoughts, the same addictions, all these sorts of stuff. And there's this chasm that begins to grow between the truth about God, I'll give you perfect peace in our chaotic lives, that, that we have been adopted as sons and yet we feel like orphans. All these things begin to take place and we go, man, what happened? I came to the Lord for salvation and now I experience no peace. Is your life missing the joy and the, the, the unity with Christ? And so could it be that you've desired salvation, but nothing more? 
So what's the difference between a heart that's ready to be guided and one that's not? Well, the truth is, the hard truth is that it's pride. And what's at the root of pride? The desire for independence. Jeremiah 2.13, the Lord comes to the prophet Jeremiah and he says to his people, he says, for my people have committed two evils. Stop here for a second. Israel has committed egregious sins already. Ones that God could have said, hey, pointed out all these issues that Israel had done repeatedly over and over and over again. And yet this is what he says are the two evils that they committed. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. In other words, they rejected me and they tried to do life on their own. It's the pride of independence. We don't need God. We'll do it. We'll figure it out ourselves. And this is the fundamental problem with, with, as we look at the history of Israel, their their constant cyclical patterns of, of, of being blessed by the Lord and then walking away from him, being blessed by him and walking away from him. And it's this, it's this constant pattern. And we fall into the same pattern that we have this idea that God saves me, but then I will do things on my own. And the results are intense labor and total and complete failure. These are proud people who said, I'm good. I don't need instructions. The people we read about in Revelation 3 says, no, I'm, I'm, I'm good. I'm rich. I've prospered. I don't need anything. And yet Jesus would say, what you don't realize is that you're poor, pitiable, blind, and naked. And I've counseled you to buy gold refined by me. You see, God is beckoning us to follow his ways. He's, he's, he's wanting us to give ear to his instruction. No, we, we don't come to him with this, well, this is my truth idea that we come to him in, with a surrendered heart before him. How well has it worked out for us when we think we know better than God? How many prayers have we prayed with the, with the intention that God, you just don't understand. I need this. God, You just need to do this for me. But he says, my sheep hear my voice. See, God wants to have an active role in our lives. It actually pleases him to guide us into wisdom. Like like a young child coming to you, asking you to show him how to put something together. You remember those moments in your children before they grew up to know everything when they're 12, 13, maybe even 11, you know, and they know all the mysteries of life. But before that moment, when you just loved the times that they would come and be like, hey, dad, show me how to do this. Will you you help me this? Will you teach me this? Dad, how do you, how do I, what do you think about this? All these other kinds of things. They want to show you things they're learning. They want that interactive approach with you. And then they grow up and they know everything. I'm not talking about my kids, by the way, at all. <laughs> I'm a perfect example of that too, guys. Don't worry. But, but it's this idea that, that it pleases us, right? It, it's amazing when, when our kids come to us and say, Dad, give me wisdom in this. Let me." And there's things that we don't know. There's things that we don't know, but we'll go learn it together. We'll do it together. You see, when Christ ascended, humanity was given the Spirit as our guide. And so many of us as believers, we say, man, if I could just walk with Jesus. Like, man, they were, the disciples were so lucky they got to walk with him and ask him these questions and talk with him and actually had an answer to them. And now we're just given the Spirit to hope that I don't really know what the role of the Spirit is. I know what the Bible says he's supposed to be doing, but I don't really go to him and ask him the same things I would ask Jesus. And yet we're told very clearly that the Spirit 
Spirit is actually given to us for that same purpose. That Jesus says that my, if I go away, when I go away, my Father will send another counselor. That, that word there is one of the same as me, meaning that we have access just like the disciples had with Jesus, we have access to the Holy Spirit to hear from him, to learn to be guided by him. Just because the disciples were walking with Jesus does not mean that they were listening to Jesus. He was speaking. They still had to listen and learn and be attentive to Jesus. See, we're given the Spirit because God knows the way to peace. He knows the challenges we face, the confusions we have, the heartaches we feel, the fear that cripples us. He knows all and offers wisdom through his spirit, through his word, and through his people. So the question we have to answer today is this, will we be teachable and open to instruction? Or will we continue to rely on our desire for independence? Let's go to Psalm 25 and read verses 1 through 14. Psalm of David says, To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, in you I trust. Let me not be put to shame. Let not my enemy exult over me. Indeed, none who wait for you shall be put to shame. They shall be ashamed who are uh, wantonly treacherous. Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. For you are God, you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day long. Remember your mercy, O Lord, and your steadfast love, for they have been from old. Remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to your steadfast love, remember me for the sake of your goodness, O Lord. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners in the way. He leads the humble in what is right and teaches the humble his way. All the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness for those who keep his covenant and his testimonies. For your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my guilt, for it is great. Who is the man who fears the Lord? Him will he instruct in the way he should choose. His soul shall abide in well-being and his offspring shall inherit the land. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him and he makes known to them his covenants. So who is given instruction? Those who are humble is what we see in verses four and five. Make, make me know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truths and teach me. Even David recognized his need to be instructed. Requires a recognition that we need more than we possess. That this idea of instruction, this idea of, of coming to seek instructions like us, if, men, if we were humble, we would realize that we actually don't have what it takes to put together a simple piece of furniture most of the time. Sometimes we can. Verse nine, he says, he leads the humble in what is right and teaches the humble his way. You see, growth and understanding demand humility. You cannot grow. You can hear instructions, but you cannot grow. You cannot receive understanding without humility. They demand humility by nature. So we must recognize our need. But then he says more about those who are given instruction. He says in verse 12, who is the man who fears the Lord? Him will he instruct in the way that he should choose. So what is the fear of the Lord? 
Is this, is, this, is this something where we're told that perfect love casts out fear, so then we shouldn't be afraid of the Lord, but then we read all over about this idea of fear of the Lord, so should we be afraid of this sovereign God who's waiting to strike us down when we mess up or has the power to? Like, what, what is the idea of fearing the Lord? Because if we're gonna grow in wisdom, we have to understand how to fear the Lord. Well, we know that it's associated with wisdom and knowledge. Psalm 111, verse 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have a good understanding. His praise endures forever. Proverb 1, 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. I can't help but keep thinking of that illustration of bringing something home to put together. <laughs> At one point, when we have to humble ourselves to go grab the stupid instructions, don't we feel pretty foolish? We just hope a lot of people aren't around. This is why, men, we do it when our wives are away. Psalm 34, 11, Come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. So what is the fear of the Lord? I think the fear of the Lord is a humbled recognition of God's authority, his holiness, and his sovereignty. And I say a humbled recognition because we can recognize it with our brains. We can understand it with our brains. But a humbled recognition is a position we take before God. That we're in, in a continued place of, of surrendering to God's authority, recognizing that he alone has the right to truth, that he alone has the ability to guide us in his holiness, that God is completely set apart. Holiness is not a, a moral state of being, which is what we often think of holiness as. Holiness simply means to be set apart, and God is holy. He's not made to be holy. He is holy himself, that he is completely set apart from all of creation. And this is what we recognize in him. And when we recognize his holiness, his set-apartedness from all of creation, there is an awe that should come into our hearts. When you're standing at the summit of a mountain and you're watching the sunrise, there's an awe of something far greater than yourself in that moment. Recognition of God's sovereignty, a humbled recognition of God's sovereignty that, Lord, you are sovereign over my life. You get to determine how I am to function. You get to determine my heart's attitude towards people. You get to determine how I treat my family, how I treat my friends. So why is this fear the beginning of wisdom? Because we begin to recognize our place. We begin to see the reality of ourselves in light of God, and we get, begin to see the reality of God in light of ourselves. We begin to walk in humility as we're instructed in the truth of God. Those who want to be wise begin by having a reverence for the reality of God. The others that receive instruction are those who seek wisdom. Proverbs 1.5, a, a wise man will hear and will increase learning and a man of understanding shall attain unto wise counsels. Oh, these are good. Proverbs 9.9, give instruction to a wise man and he will be yet wiser. Teach a just man and he will increase in learning. Psalm 119.66, teach me good judgment and knowledge for I believe in your commandments. You know, I think of the idea of being in the city gates. 
We've talked a little bit about this before, how, how the, the, the city gates is a place of, of not, not of prominence, but of humility, of, of where the men sit who were wise, the men sat who, who protected the city, who had discernment, who had care, who had built lives of, of, of wisdom and, and stature and leadership and servanthood. A man who, uh, you know, we read in Proverbs 31, we always kind of approach that from the wife's perspective, but she was the wife of a man who sat in the city gate. Like at some point we must surround ourselves and say, man, I see these guys in the city gates of my life. Those who have lived life long and I want to learn from them. I want to, I want to learn from their, their mistakes. I want to learn how to treat my kids, how to treat my, my wife, how to walk in wisdom and, and, and intelligence and knowledge and all these things. Because at some point, whether we want to or not, you and I, we're going to be those in the city gates if you're not already. If we learn to walk in wisdom, if we humble ourselves to receive instruction, and I, I tell, I tell, you know, whenever my kids or anyone else makes fun of me as I get older, I'm like, it, does, it bothers me nothing to grow older. I do not, it, does, it will never bother me as long as I'm growing in wisdom. I do not care. I, life is going to happen. I don't care when my beard turns gray. I know it's going to at some point. It does not bother me to not be able to do the things physically I used to be able to do the older I get. The most detrimental thing I could think of growing old is not being a man of wisdom who is passing down something to another generation. But in order to become that person, I have to submit myself to instruction. I have to understand that life requires more than what I possess. And that's not always easy. The other day, or actually this past summer, my, uh, my youngest, Evan, he was six at the time, and kind of out of nowhere, he says, Dad, what's the difference between knowledge and wisdom? And I'm like, what? I don't have a sermon prepared for that, son. You know? <laughs> um, and, and I just kind of had to think, and because of my own foolish past, when I decided to hop on my uh, motorcycle at the time in shorts and sandals and take off for a ride one sunny summer day, in or evening in uh, Spokane, um, I ended up having to lay my bike down and someone pulled out in front of me. Thankfully, I was wearing a helmet, um, but I skinned the, I took the skin off my foot and, and my calf. It was, it was, it was bad. And I thought, I need to give them a, a lesson in this because we're getting ready to go ride bikes. And so I said, Evan, knowledge is knowing that if you get on your bike, and, you, and we go right on the street and you wreck your bike because you're probably going to at some point if you're having fun um, and you're wearing sandals, you're gonna, your foot's going to get scraped up, bloody, all that stuff. Wisdom is simply not wearing sandals when you're riding your bike. So the next day we're actually at a friend's house and he hops on his friend's bike wearing sandals. And I said, Evan, he said, I know, dad, I'm just using knowledge. I'm like, <laughs> okay, <laughs> okay. And, at least, at least he understands the difference. But it's those who seek wisdom who are given instruction. And lastly, those who are given instruction are sinners. Verse 8 of Psalm 25 here says, Good and upright is the Lord, therefore. So because God is good and upright, he instructs sinners in the way. Which is exactly what he did with you and I, doesn't, didn't he? He instructs us in the way we need to live a life and life abundantly, to have life, to escape death. He instructs sinners because his desires that no man perishes. This is how the lost can be found. But not everyone accepts instruction. 
but everyone's offered instruction. And what are we instructed in? Well, knowledge for one, Psalm 94.10 says, he who disciplines a nation, does he not rebuke? He who teaches man knowledge. Sometimes knowledge comes through discipline. That's why Hebrews would say, don't despise the discipline of the Lord. Like God teaches us those things as tough as they are to walk through, those times of being disciplined by the Lord. If we accept the instruction, the response, the respond in humility, then we will have passed that test. We will have learned what we need to learn through God allowing us to go through those times. We're also instructed in his will. Psalm 143.10, teach me to do your will for you are my God. Let your good spirit lead me on level ground. We're instructed in his way. Psalm 86.11, teach me your way, O Lord, that I might walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. What a beautiful request. Teach me your way, O Lord, that I might walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. In other words, this is a, this is a request. It's like, Lord, I, my, my heart isn't always united to, to, to have a, an, an awestruck reverence for you, but God, would you unite my heart? It's almost like Thomas asking, God, help my, uh, help my unbelief. Help my unbelief. We're instructed in doctrine. 1 Timothy 4.13, until I come, devote yourselves to the public reading of scripture, to exhortation and to doctrine or to teaching. We're to devote ourselves to these things so that we can receive teaching. Discipline, Ephesians 6, 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord, that God offers these things to us. And how? How are we instructed? First is by the Holy Spirit, Matthew eleven twenty nine. 29. Jesus says, take my yoke upon me and, or upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly or humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. And you can say, well, okay, that was, that was for the disciples and Jesus was offering them to come speak with him. But then in John 14, 26, it says, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. John 16, 13, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, not just truth of our salvation, but all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. See, through the spirit, we have access to the author of wisdom, the holiness of God who has all the mysteries and understands all the complexities of life. He is saying, I will give you my spirit, my Holy Spirit, my spirit that was set apart from all of creation. And I will give that to you if you would have him, if you would be led by him. The Apostle Paul says to, to the church in Ephesus in Ephesians 1, 17 and 18, he says that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Here's the, here's the key. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? That, saints, that Jesus was given us as an inheritance and we can understand that reality. We can live in that reality, but it requires the eyes of our hearts being enlightened. We can study the words on these pages all day long. We could have our heads filled with knowledge about, about God, 
but never walk with him, never understand anything more than it just being knowledge. And so what Paul's saying is, hey, I don't want your minds just enlightened. Although knowledge is important, I want your hearts enlightened. And that's the work of the Spirit to come in and enlighten our hearts, to bring about the things that we finally understand. How many of us have read through passages over and over, and then one time we read it, and it's like, my goodness, this is what it was meant. You know what just happened in that moment? The eyes of your hearts were enlightened by the Spirit of God. That's incredible. And yet it doesn't have to be seldom. It can be all the time. He gives us instruction through his word. 2 Timothy 3, 16 to 17. All scriptures breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Man, how often have we lived our lives thinking, I'm so jacked up, I'm not complete in anything, and I'm, I'm, I'm certainly not equipped for any good work. But the word of God is designed to guide us down that path of being equipped, of being complete. But we're also told that instruction comes through one another. Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. I know there are people in this congregation who I have so much to learn from and I love observing your lives. Whether you know it or not, I observe your lives. I watch them and I'm, I'm learning. I'm constantly asking the Lord, help me learn in, in any situation I'm in. Help me learn and absorb where I can because I know that God puts people in my life to learn from. To, to When I see something meld in the spirit of Jesus, when I know from his word that the character of Jesus and I see that in someone being lived out, I'm like, ooh, this is a person that I want to pay close attention to. And we're that for one another. This is the benefit of, of being involved in, in a community of believers, having a group that you're a part of. And the result of instruction we know is godliness for one, Titus 2, 11 and 12, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in the present age. Young people, for the grace of God has appeared to you, bringing salvation for, to all people. And if you're willing training you to renounce ungodliness, worldly passions, to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. You do not have to live defeated. The other result of instruction is wisdom. Proverbs 15, 31 through 33, the ear that listens to life-giving reproof will dwell among the wise. Whoever ignores instruction despises himself, but he who listens to reproof gains intelligence. The fear of the Lord is instruction in wisdom. The fear of the Lord is instruction in wisdom, and humility comes before honor. Proverbs 4.13, keep hold of instruction. Do not let go. Guard her, for she is your life. Man, if, if I had just, if I had understood this before I became a fool, before I, I thought that I knew everything, if I can understand, wait, the key to life 
is keeping a hold of instruction, is continuing to pursue instruction and guarding that instruction, guarding that understanding, that recognition that I need people in my life. I need men in my life who are, who are pouring in and giving me instruction in my life. I need to be in the word so I receive that instruction is to guard it with my life. I spent more, more years guarding money than I did instruction and it proved to be fruitless. The other thing that, that uh, results in instruction is, is fruitfulness or righteousness. Hebrews 12, 10 and 11, for they, earthly fathers, disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. We can share in, the, in being set apart like God. For the, at, for the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Incredible. Jesus says in John 15, we can, bear no, we, will, we can do nothing apart from him, but if we remain with him, he will produce fruit through us. All we need to do is remain with him and we will bear fruit. What does it take to remain with him? A recognition that we cannot do anything apart from him. The last result that I've found, there's several more, but ones we're touching on today is hope. Romans 15, four, for whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of scriptures, we may have hope. Through the encouragement of scriptures and endurance, we may have hope. We have to remember that we are not trained, we are not being trained for Christian careers. You're not being trained for religion. We're being trained for godliness. And our instruction that we're offered, <clears throat> and everyone's offered instructions we saw from scriptures, everyone, sinners and the righteous and the humble alike are all offered instruction. But it's those who are willing to receive instruction, allow it to become conviction that will lead to experience. In other words, conviction is the glue that holds our, our spiritual instruction together. So when I, when I say confess, what do you think of? You think of perhaps maybe going to a, a, a booth and telling someone your deepest, darkest sin, and then you feel bad for a moment and say you're forgiven, and then you feel good, and then you go away and you do that again. And this is our, our really our only idea of confession. But confession in, in, in biblical understanding is just truth telling. That we truth we tell the God, we, we tell God the truth about whatever. Lord, I'm fearful of this. Lord, I don't understand this. Lord, um, I, I was wrong in this. It's just truth. And conviction is God speaking truth back to us. Conviction is not just, well, I hope you feel shame, son. You better feel shame. Look at you. Now go, go out there and don't do that again. I don't want to see you back here. That's not conviction. That's actually shame. Conviction is God speaking the truth of knowledge into the depths of our hearts, whether to guide us out of wrong, wrong behavior or to guide us into right behavior, into right response. Instruction must go from our head knowledge, to the heart, which is conviction, to the work, which is experience, or being a doer of the word. This is the instruction that, that pertains to godliness. This is the fruit that remains. I was thinking of Romans 1 uh, this morning and thinking of how they, they rejected instruction. It says that, that they claiming to be wise, they became fools. 
That these are people who said, no, no, I am wise. I don't need instructions. And they became fools and God gave them up to debased minds. So how do we walk in the instruction of Jesus? Well, I'll tell you the simplest and most important instruction that Jesus ever gave us was this, Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven: You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And you shall love others just as I have loved you, John 13, 34. That there are two things that Jesus says, <clears throat> don't worry about all these other things yet. You, you, the spirit will, will work those things out. What the most important thing is that you remember is not which laws to keep, what, what other people do, what they don't do, what you should be doing, none of that stuff. The spirit guides us in that what he's saying is you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, which means that God is also committing. If that's the most important thing to God, then he's also committed to helping us learn to do that. He doesn't just save us from, from death and then say, well, have fun, good luck. By the way, don't mess up. But he said, no, no, you shall love the Lord with everything in you and love others as I have loved you. Two commandments, one that we love God with everything in us and two that we love others as Jesus loved us. And how did Jesus love us? Well, we learned through instruction. We learn through the spirit. We learn through one another teaching us the things about Jesus and saying, man, this is how Jesus loved us. That's, that's incredible. And here's, here's the most important part about all this. Neither can be done without the other. That we're told in, in I think, 1 John, he says, you can't hate your brother and say that you love God. And we can't love God and, and without, or we can't love our brother without loving God. Like we won't know how to love sacrificially. We won't know how to love like Jesus loves. So the greatest, most important thing for God in our lives cannot be done on our own, but it can be done. In reliance on the Lord, in the body of believers, in the instruction of the word, in the power of the spirit to guide us. And it's not a burden. It's actually a lamp to our feet. It's a light to the path that we need to walk. It'll guide us through the darkest of valleys and lead us to the greenest pastures. But we must receive it. We must be people who receive instruction. I'll have the worship team come back up. And I'm gonna close with this psalm, which comes from, um, which, which led me to the title of this sermon. Psalm 32, eight and nine. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. If you wonder if God wants to guide you, if God wants to direct you, and I mean in the same way that we would ask Jesus, that God's saying, hey, I called you out of death. I'll guide you in the path of life. And I will counsel you with my eye on you. I'll watch you and guide you as you go and teach you when to pivot and how to, how to navigate this path and this trial and all these things. And he said, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye on you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with a bit and bridle or will not stay near you. So how do we avoid being a mule? One, we have, to, we have to learn what we've been doing wrong. We have to, we have to uh, if we're gonna learn what is right, we have to unlearn what is wrong. And what we've grown up with and pursue our whole lives is this idea of independence, this desire of independence saying, hey, I can do this on my own. So we have to learn 
the right way and saying, actually, no, Lord, I can do nothing apart from you. I can do nothing of spiritual significance in, in any regard apart from you. Then we have to accept in our minds and our hearts that we need instruction. And we need to humble ourselves to receive that instruction. And that comes through his spirit, through his word and his people. And here's the thing that we need to pay close attention to. There are a lot of bad people who would give really bad instruction. This is how cults get started. This is how people get led astray. But here's, here's the truth about it, that we need to be in his word because if people were in his word, they would understand maybe the cult they're in is not in alignment with what Jesus is teaching. Maybe the relationship they're in is not in alignment with the things of the spirit. And so we're told to test every spirit. And how do we test every spirit? Through his word. And how do we understand his word? Through his spirit and through other people. That this is how, this is the idea of the church. This is how the kingdom is moved forward. That we engage in God through his spirit, through his word, and with his people. And lastly, we must realize that Satan will do all he can through pride to hinder us from receiving instruction that he will make us actually believe that we can do life apart from Jesus. See, Satan doesn't have to get us to do things particular, particularly sinful. He just has to get us to act in our own independence. So don't be a mule. <laughs> Pretty simple. God created you for more. This morning, we're going to take communion together as instructed by the Lord um, and it's an opportunity for us to reflect, for us to reflect on the instructions and, and, and the areas in our lives where we haven't surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus. The areas in our lives that seem kind of chaotic, that seem distant from the Lord. It's a good opportunity for us to consider and ask the Lord to, to help us see, to seek in our hearts, to search our hearts and know what ways are within us.